You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the Northern Lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and I am joined by my co-host Tony and tonight we are doing a preview of the Yukon Quest in Canada. We've talked about the Yukon Quest in Alaska. As a matter of fact, we talked about it tonight. But today is the preview of the Canadian race which actually starts tomorrow. We're recording this late on Friday night and uh, they're probably already getting ready those last-minute preparations over there in Whitehorse. Tony, what's happening in the Yukon Quest, Canada? Well, you know, they're the ones that I think came out on top with the split when the two boards, the Alaska side and the Canada side, decided to part ways. It was a little bit like a divorce in many ways, um, where Yukon Quest got the logo, the website, the social media, basically the brand. They weren't having to start from the ground up as far as building a purse or just being the legit race. They have had to build a little bit from the ground up as far as coming in with their different mileages and their different trails. Um, but for the most part, we're looking at a similar trail to what we would see in the Thousand Mile Quest. If they had started from Whitehorse, they're going all the way to Dawson City for their 450-mile race, which they have not done since the pandemic. Um, so that's pretty exciting. I'm sure Dawson City is very excited to have them coming back. Dawson City is a very historical spot in um, the Yukon history as well as mushing history. Um, mushing was a big deal for the gold rush, of course, and so was Dawson City. So very exciting about that. Uh, the new board means that Sebastian Schnula is not a board of director, but he is going to be giving us his armchair mushing perspective, as he always does. He'll be out on the trail. I'm not sure if he's going with his old trusty yellow iron dog or if he's got some new fancy equipment, but He's already shared quite a bit on their their um, Facebook page, almost said YouTube page, and I don't think they have one of those. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's you know it'll be interesting. It's they're small rosters for each of these races, and we had said that the Yukon Quest Alaska had small rosters, but these are even smaller. So uh, it, it's just going to be an interesting. Way you know this is this is kind of the big. We saw what Alaska did. We saw their hiccups and we saw their triumphs, and so now it's Canada's turn to to show what they can do with kind of the 
the advantage that they've had with not having to start from below ground zero to build the race. And we have talked, I don't know how many times, Tony, since <laughs> Iditarod ended last year. This has been a thread on our podcast ever mm -hmm. since. I think we've probably talked about the quest in one form or another on at least one episode a month. So we're not going to rehash a lot of things that we've talked about, but I have a couple of points I would like to see if they can stand out. First off, you had mentioned this is sort of like uh, who got the better side of the divorce. And we've talked about mm -hmm. the sort of um, inequities, if you will, of this quote unquote mushing divorce and uh, where we stand in the mushing community on these two races. And there's been a little bit of drama even as, as late as this week, between the two races, I know that uh, people are, are bickering back and forth on social media about how the Alaskan race was handled and so on and so forth. And we won't dive too much into that. But you had mentioned Dawson City. And as folks know that know a lot about the Yukon Quest, when it was a thousand mile race, it would flop years, meaning one year it would start in Fairbanks, go to the midpoint in Dawson City, they would do a 36-hour layover and then head down to Whitehorse. And then the following year, I don't know if it's even or odd, maybe you know, Tony, but the following year, it would do the route in reverse. And there's always talk, like there is an Iditarod, about which side is faster, which side is tougher, which side is is more fun and everybody had their favorites, whether they were starting from the American side or starting from the Canada side. But there was always this stop in Dawson City. And as you mentioned, it's an old time historical, uh, think about gold rush era time. That's the sort of the feeling about it. And a lot of mushers really embraced that 36-hour rest. That's a day and a half of rest. Remember, in Iditarod, they only have a 24-hour rest, and they have to do that at some point along the trail. I believe it's after they reach the Yukon, or no, after the third. What is, what's the rule there before I stumble, Tony? <laughs> What are, what rule are we, they uh, the, needed to take the 30? No, the 24. Which, where where do they have to take the 24? Is there, is there a rule for that? Uh, it was the, it was the 36 hour rule there at Dawson City. I don't believe they had a 24 on the, the quest. No, I mean, in Iditarod, is there a rule? Oh, in Iditarod. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> it's been a late night. Um, so they have to take the 24 anywhere along the Iditarod before I believe White Mountain anytime before, after White okay. Mountain seems silly. So. so on Iditarod, guys, now that you've listened to our stumbles, there is a 24-hour <laughs> rest at some point along the trail up to about 77 miles from the finish. And in Iditarod, you will find strategies much different on where they take their rest. But what made the Yukon Quest so unique is everybody had to take a 36-hour rest mm -hmm. in Dawson. And I bring all this up for a couple of different reasons. One, this was a big sticking point when, they, when this marriage broke up. One side mm -hmm. said, hey, there's too much rest in this race. We don't need all this. And the other side says, oh, we can do uh, we can do this with a whole bunch of rest. And, you know, one side uh, 
enjoyed the other for for whatever reason. But when they go to Dawson, at least on the on the full run, the thousand mile run, everybody did this 36 hour rest. And for a lot of mushers, they really embraced this. It became a party of sort in Dawson because you only have to take care of your dogs so much. You want them to rest. You want them to be well fed. You want to take care of any injuries, sort of like a bye week in any other sport. A 36 hour rest is a long time. So they built these fancy tents for the dogs and the whole nine yards. But anyway, in Dawson, often the mushers would have time to rent hotel rooms or to stay with friends and really recoup and have fancy meals and all that. And then they would turn around and do the other leg of the race. And that was really embraced by both the fans and the mushers, at least by the most part. But there's an interesting thing and Whitehorse, and you probably know this story better than I, but there's an infamous drink there in in uh, Dawson. What is it? The the sour toe or something like that? Uh, a whiskey? Something like that. It's so gross. Yes, <laughs> and it's and it is a human toe. It's an toe. Yes, it is a human toe in your drink. And you take a shot, very similar to like you would take a tequila shot with the worm. And it is a highly mm-hmm. coveted experience. I've obviously never tried this. I have seen mm-hmm. and heard of people doing it. But I understand it's something else. I'm sure you've heard that as well. I've heard of it. I've heard that people have stolen the toe and that they've had to chase people down. Why do you need somebody's? Cut off frostbitten, nasty, gross toenail, toe thing. It's so gross. Uh, You know, I don't know if we've ever mentioned this on the podcast, but my wife, Michelle, (laughs) who is sometimes a co-host on here and part of our after show on Patreon, uh, she and I became pretty uh, affluent, if you will, I don't know the proper word, bourbon connoisseurs a few years ago when we started going to uh, the Bourbon and Beyond Music Festival in Kentucky. Every year we hit up music festivals. And I know this has nothing to do with mushing, but the, the, the point is, <laughs> is we started collecting a heck of a lot of libations, if you will. And I think we probably have 10 or 15 different kinds of bourbon, four or five different types of tequila, and rum and whiskey and the whole nine yards. And the funny thing is, is we're not big time drinkers. We'll just have a cocktail here and there, but not the type of people that will uh, sip a old fashioned every evening. But long story short, I've always been intrigued by this sour toe drink or whatever it is. And I can only imagine in the Yukon Quest heyday, that there was a lot of these uh, cocktails being passed around. And I would imagine this is not an off-the-shelf, cheap, bourbon, old-fashioned. This is probably a $10, $15, $20 U.S. dollar drink, don't you think? I have no idea. It's 
it, uh, you know, it, I don't drink, so I don't ever pay attention. And the fact that somebody has a toe in their drink, I, I really don't pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, I guess to bring this back to mushing is they are going to do this Dawson city stop. That is going to be the finish. And being a little big town, if you will, in Canada, it's one of the largest towns in the uh, Yukon Quest, or Yukon Quest, in the Yukon Territory. I be- It may be the largest town in, in the territory. I would imagine there's going to be a party atmosphere when this race finishes in just a few days. Now, this is a 450, so I would imagine sometime Tuesday-ish, maybe late Monday for the finish, uh, depending on how things go. Yeah, is that about right? I- I think their website said that they're planning on having a finish on Tuesday. Okay. Um, is when that they're they're going to have those come in. So it should be a party atmosphere for the for the uh, the whole shebang, and I would love to be a part of that uh, that experience just as a fan, because you know, uh, as much as there's griping on social media and you know, back and forth about how races are won or run or finished or not, you know, arguing with race marshals and all of that. It's still a big time fan event if it's in an area where it can be. Like I did a rod, start and finish in Nome. People pay thousands of dollars to fly to Nome to see the the finish of I did a rod. And, and they used to do that on the on the quest on both sides, whether it be Fairbanks or Whitehorse. So I could imagine it, it might be a fun time. And I would imagine that uh, that they'll really embrace that. And I think it may be a little bit different than how they just finished up the uh, the uh, Alaska side. Was there a big hubbub uh, when it was finished or did it just sort of feel like a regular mid-distance race finishing up? Um, for the Quest Alaska, it wasn't too bad. They were right there at the pump house in Fairbanks. And if you're familiar with the pump house, you know that that's some really good food and a really good time. And so there was a somewhat party-like atmosphere, um, but it wasn't it wasn't too well known. Um, they were having, again, some glitches on, on the back end of the race where you couldn't actually see anything. The power had gone out for their, their finish line, but they had, they had quite a few fans hanging out there in the pump house. So I expect that it'll be similar there in Canada, there in Dawson city. So before we talk about the entries in the three races, the 450 and the two smaller races, what are you expecting on their coverage? Uh, we had talked about on our preview show of the Quest Alaska that they were really good, at least uh, back in recent times, with their coverage on social media. And we said that they got all the brand stuff on this side. Do you, do you anticipate having a pretty robust social media presentation, if you will, on, on, this, uh, on this Quest on this side? Yeah, their stuff is really sleek. They're using um, Facebook Reels, Instagram Reels, Stories, whatever you want to call them. Um, it looks like they've got Canva-type graphics where, you know, they're able to quickly fill in information and post it in that format that you see on Facebook and Instagram. So 
they've got a social media savvy team. And then, like I said, you've got Sebastian Schnula, who is most definitely going to be sharing everything from photos to video, as, as we've already seen on their um, Facebook page. So I expect more of the same as the race goes on. I'm not sure if they have as many dead zones on this side of the Quest Trail as they did on the Alaska side. Um, but I, I would expect that the major checkpoints and of course the finish, there will be a lot of coverage there. And then you also have the local media that understands the race um, and for the most part supports it. The local Yukon media definitely does. I personally, after having dealt with Canadian media and their bias towards mushing uh, as we know it in Iditarod and the Quest and others, I don't know that outside of the Yukon, they get the same kind of positive press. Um, I think that something like the CBC, especially, they have their own little agenda, as we know, because they were um, part of that lovely little documentary, Sled Dogs. So um, it's, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. I know that Canadian media is already building this up as poor little victimized Canadian board of Yukon Quest were bullied and then, you know, Alaska took its toys and went home. And, and we even saw that with a former um, board president. He wrote a blog. A lot of people disagree with me and, and I appreciate their comments and feedback. I had commented under it saying, you know, this still feels really one-sided, like it was all Alaska's fault when really, if you read into this, neither one wanted to give an inch and you have to compromise in these situations. So um, I expect more of the same. I really do feel that there is a race within this race and it's which side of the Yukon quest runs a better race. Is it going to be Canada or is it going to be Alaska? And I think at the end of the day, it's going to be the new argument that we that I grew up with and that we've all followed over the years you know which race is better the quest or the Iditarod um, and I think it's kind of a moot argument I think they're both their own beast um, I think the names are pretty petty since neither one wants to give up that title of Yukon quest but uh, it's it's I, I think we're gonna see probably a smoother this is a longer answer than you wanted but this is I think we're going to see a smoother running um, coverage group than what we saw over in Alaska. I don't know if they have a bigger volunteer base. Uh, it just feels like they do. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see once the race gets underway tomorrow how they how they continue on with that. A couple of points with that. I find interesting that we truly have the entire race, the entire thousand mm -hmm. mile race in both of these races. And as you said, this was always kind of two races every year. It was the Alaskan mm -hmm. side putting on their race on their year and the Canadian side putting on their race on the other year. And they only worked nicely because it was, it was a necessity. And then it sort of fell mm -hmm. apart uh, as we went, but we, we truly do have the thousand mile trail, if you will, with the with the exception to heading down to Nenana and back on the Alaska side. But it, it's the thousand mile race just in two different races, which I think is uh, a normal race, if, if, if we can say that. But now it's just two separate ones.
But what's interesting, right. and, you, and I, I'm writing this down as you said that, I think a really interesting show topic that we could dive into is that Canadian media spin and where they fit in mm -hmm. into the story of mushing. And you're right, there is an entirely different spin on the Canadian media than there is in the U.S. And it's the, it's the same in other sports. I'm a big-time hockey fan, and I often watch, <laughs> yeah. um, I often watch Canadian um, broadcasts for Canadian games. And there may be, for example, they may have a Montreal Canadiens game going on against the Rangers, and they have both broadcasts on ESPN. And, you know, one night I'll watch the Canadian version, and another night I'll watch the Rangers version and listen to the two different sides, and especially on like their sports center type broadcast. It's so much different in the way that they present their sports. And I think that that would be really interesting to talk about on a show. And this is a, a great topic. We would love to hear what the fans have to say. And that has nothing to do with <laughs> all of the controversy that their national media sort of spun right. with, with the Sled Dogs documentary and the reporting of things in Whistler and animal mm -hmm. rights and all that. That's just a side of that story. But there are so much more. Yeah. We have to talk about that probably right after I did a rod. You remember back in the day, nobody watches real TV anymore. Everybody does streaming. <laughs> but do you remember every year they had sweeps week? And it would be after mm -hmm. something big or even better, they would have the Super Bowl on. And then right after the Super Bowl, they would have a release of some big new show, whether it be... Desperate yeah. Housewives or something would air right after Super Bowl. I think that's what we need to do oh, with, yeah. with this on <laughs> on our after the Sounds Iditarod good. coverage. What do you think? Sounds good. Uh, after a little bit of a nap, we can definitely do that. All right. So, yeah, we'll do that. So maybe right after the banquet, we'll jump into this uh, this hot topic for sure. So stay tuned to that. Okay. So we're not on all night. Tell us about our lineups. Let's talk about the smaller races first. I don't know a lot of these names, so I won't do a lot of commenting on it. But who is in these two smaller races of the Alas or excuse me, Canadian Quest? Sure. So um, it's a very the the whole race is very Canadian. There's only two non-Canadians in the entire. Uh, Yukon Quest, uh, one in the 450, and then I'm sorry, I don't remember which one in the other one. <laughs> um, but uh, we've got some interesting ones in the 100-mile roster. They're going to start off on what in Whitehorse after the 450 and the 250 start tomorrow. Um, they're going to end in Brayburn. Their purse is $2,500 split. Uh, five ways, which there are only five mushers, so everybody's getting money after this. It's not a whole lot, but it's more than nothing. Um, and so for that roster, we have Jonathan Lucas, who you said I had to mention his kennel name, and it's Snow Pig. Love it. And that's because he has a farm, and he has pigs and dogs, and they love the snow, is what uh, he said in, I think, his little musher bio is where I read that. I read it somewhere. I did not make that up. Uh, and then we have Luke uh, Tweedall. I love when you make me read off their names because I'm horrible at names. Uh, one half of Echo's Kennel. 
they are a twin with one of the teams that is running in the 450. Uh, and then you have Debbie Knight of Skywolf Canine Adventures. Really interesting kennel names in this group. Uh, Jana Lee Cushing of Indian Lake Sepala Siberian. So there's a Siberian team in the mix. And then you have uh, the last musher will be Nate Metzen of Northern Sharks Working Dog. I like it. So, uh, yeah, I know you you were very excited when I when I mentioned the kennel names earlier. So, uh, I think it's going to be a good little group of of teams. Uh, most of them, I believe, this is one of their first big races. I don't think it is for Echo's Kennel or uh, Skywolf. I'm not sure about the other three, but I believe for the most part they're all rookies. And then for the 250-mile roster, they'll be going from Whitehorse to Pelly Crossing. Um, so, again, like we said, the, the trail is nothing new. It's all stops that we've seen before. Um, they, will, they have a purse of $15,000. It's supposed to be divvied up between the top 10. There's only five mushers. So I'm not sure if that means that they're going to stick with the original breakdown for each payout or if they're going to redo that mapping so I don't even I don't even want to know what goes into doing that kind of mapping um, but we've got Craig Huffton of Craig and Sean Racing Dogs uh, which is a father and son duo I believe um, then we've got Alana Kingsley of Stinky Pup Kennel she's run before uh, Michael Burtnick of Keystone Sled Dogs Ayana Ocean, I can't say her last name. I'm gonna butcher it so bad. I'm so sorry. O'Shaughnessy of Tagish Lake Kennel. She's running a team out of Michelle Phillips's kennel. And then Jess Sears of Dog Song, Dog Song Rising. Uh, so again, another small roster, some really interesting uh, names as far as kennels go, but also a couple of names that they've got a few races under their belt. Ayana has run only, I think, one other race this season. Uh, it was in Alaska, and don't ask me which one. I want to say it was the Copper Basin, but I could be wrong there. Um, and then let's talk about the 450. This is, this is the big one. This is the one that's going to compete with what we saw over in Alaska just last week. Their white horse to Dawson. Their payout is $35,000 paid out to the top 10. We only have 16, so everybody's in the money already. Don't know how they're gonna break that down. Again, that's too much math for me. Uh, and we have Aaron Peck of Elevation Dogs. We know Aaron, he's run Iditarod, he's run Quest. He's probably one of my top two to win this thing. You've got Connor McMahon, of feral racing kennel. I don't know if the dogs are feral or if the musher is feral, <laughs> but that's kind of interesting. I'm guessing the musher. Um, Michelle Phillips, we all know, we all love her. She's also in my top two to win this thing. She's definitely a force to be reckoned with out on the trail. Then we've got Milla Porcelain, our um, transplant Alaskan, our adopted Alaskan. She's going to be running the 450. Maya Hill is going to be running a team out of Aaron Peck's kennel. And then I'm going to butcher this name. It's Lou Twiddle of Echo's Kennel. Um, and 
that's our roster. It's six names. It feels so small. They were going to cap it at 15, and they're not even at halfway. But it, it's interesting because I think we're kind of heavy-handed on the uh, the female-to-male ratio. It's, it's either 50%. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Um, but it, we've got we've got just as many women as men in the uh, the 450. So yeah, 50%. See, I'm not good at math. Um, and the rest are the rest are the normal, I think, uh, ratios for men to women. But the the 450 man, watch out, the women are coming. And we were talking about this off air before we recorded. What's that famous quote for Iditarod? <laughs> Alaska, where men are men and women win the Iditarod. Yes, yes. You hear that. You see that on bumper stickers, shirts, everything here in Alaska. So definitely a very popular quote for sure. You had mentioned that you have two uh, two people there for your top picks. And I believe you said Aaron and Michelle. Is that right? What do, you, what do you think about Mila? Do you think that she has a, a chance to take this? I Is this her first time attempting this, this quest, or has she done it before? I don't think that she's run quest before. Um, she really started running on her own right before the pandemic. So I don't believe that she has run. I don't believe she's run the Canadian side. I know she hasn't run the Alaska side. I can't remember. I don't believe she ran the Yukon Quest 300 when it was the, you know, the boards were getting along. Um, So I do think that she is a rookie. Um, I have not had a chance to confirm that. I think she's got a decent chance. We saw some... um, we saw some interesting things going on in one of her other races this season. Um, some stuff behind the scenes that didn't really get publicized uh, as far as different little penalties. So I don't know if it was just that race or if we're, we're looking at, you know, a rebuilding year or frustrating year for, for Mila, but I would expect her to be one of the top teams. I just have more faith in Michelle and Aaron, which I've now jinxed them. So Mila's going to win. So I believe this is Michelle's, uh, Michelle Phillips's backyard. And we always talk about that, Mm -hmm. especially on uh, the Alaska side of the quest. Uh, When they did the thousand mile in particular, there was a lot of mushers up that way, thinking about Alan Moore and Ali Zirkel and, and uh, you know, all of those guys that live in the two rivers area, that Mm -hmm. was their, their home trail. They knew those trails. They trained on those trails all the time. And if I remember correctly, Michelle lives very close to that. And I would assume that the first part of this race, and I know she's run the race many times, but the first part of it is probably her home trails. Yeah, you know, she said in an interview on their Facebook page, the race's Facebook page, that uh, weather was not conducive for her to train all the time around home. So she did have to go up a little bit further north and I think onto the the quest trail a little bit. So um, I think she definitely has a little bit of home field advantage there. She's definitely from that general area, I believe. I'm not very good with Canadian geography. 
Um, but she's she's one of the ones that you know she dominated the the Yukon Quest 300 there with Ali Zirkel. It was always the Michelle and Ali show. So I don't expect it to be any different with the 450. She's very excited. I think she's also very hungry after some of the stuff that went down last year with Iditarod. Um, not so much that she needs to prove herself, but I think she's just wanting to put that final period on, yes, I do know what I'm doing with my dogs. So I, I expect her to, to maybe not run an aggressive race in the way that, you know, someone like a Nick Petit would, would run, but I think she'll have one of those really smart um, strategies that, that play out in schedules that play out to her advantage. Some, something similar to what we saw in the 550 with Brent Sass, where it's just, you know, run your own race, forget about what everybody else is doing and know that you're going to be there first. I'm looking forward to it. And it seems like I'm, my voice is even cracking a little bit for, <laughs> you, you know what, Tony, I know this, this probably doesn't interest our listeners a lot here on Mushing Radio, but I recorded an entire hour episode this afternoon for our other podcast, Dog Works Radio, with with a uh, a business coach that wrote a book called Eddie's Journey about her rescue dog Eddie, and I'm sure you probably know her on on social media. She goes by the handle Alaska Tracy, but uh, she mm, yeah. she she is uh, an upcoming guest and talking about her new book for her dog. So a couple of things. If I remember correctly, the purse for the Yukon Quest Alaska was 25000 Is that correct? Do you recall? Mm-hmm. I believe you're right. Yeah. So, so this one's just a little bit higher at 35000 but you said everybody is in the money. I know on the Alaska side, they said they were only going to pay out to the top five spots, if top I remember five. correctly. So yep. a few people were not yep. in the money there. Eight folks finished over there. And uh, before I ask my last question, a couple of quick updates. On Monday, we are going to do a very special show with Barb Reddington to talk about the Junior Iditarod preview. Early next week, probably before Monday's episode, we're going to do a recap of the Goose Bay 150 and the Willow Junior 100. So we have those coming up in your feed and I don't think you know this, Tony, but this is our 47th, 48th, as we're recording this, 48th episode on this Mushing Radio feed. And our first episode on the new feed was the Lance Mackey tribute. When did he pass away? Do you recall? He passed away at the end of August, first part of September. Wow. So we have done pretty much a year's worth of shows. If you're doing a show <laughs> every week, we have done a year's worth of shows in about four and a half months, five months or so. So we're really, uh, we're, we're really cranking them out. And I really appreciate everybody that's listening. Great feedback. A lot of comments are coming in. A lot more Questions are being asked on social media. People are asking us questions, what our thoughts are, what stories we can tell, all of that stuff. So that's what podcasting is all about. You can listen to us talk about it, but the real magic happens is when you give us story ideas and comments and questions. That's where it's really happening. So I appreciate that. So thanks to all of our friends out there, in particular... The Ugly Dogs crew, hashtag Ugly Dogs, they are out there. If you are on Twitter, 
Another popular hashtag is musher Twitter. What is another hashtag that's pretty popular? Uh, whatever the race hashtag is of the week, musher Twitter and ugly dogs are pretty much the top two. And then you've got each individual race with their own hashtag. And sometimes guys, those hashtags are trending. And I have, I have to think it is our posting on social media about our podcast because that <laughs> happens sometimes. So I, not a lot of folks can say, hey, I had a part in something trending on Twitter, but that's a pretty big deal over on that social media site for sure. So Tony, I know that you love superstitions. I know that you love the proverbial sports jinx, but your team is not in the Super Bowl. And I'm sure you'll probably be tuning in on Sunday afternoon. It is the Eagles and the Chiefs. Who do you got? And I'm going to go first. I am, and I never go first. I'm going to go first, and I'm going to say <laughs> the Eagles win it 33 to 31. What is your pick? Okay, well, first of all, my team is not in the Super Bowl right. because Michelle and I told you not to say that they were going to make the Super Bowl like two weeks before they were even going to be possible to be in the Super Bowl. And you said that they were going to be in the Super Bowl. So you jinx them. I want the world to know I'm holding it against you. Um, as for your question, <laughs> uh, I'm also going to pick the Eagles mainly because if I pick Mahomes' team and they lose, my mom will kill me because she loves her Mahomey. He's almost right up there with Joe Montana for her. But, um, but yeah, so uh, but I, I think it's going to end up being a blowout game. I don't know why. I just feel like it's going to work its way out like that um, Patriots-Falcons uh, game from a few years ago. So I, I want to say it's going to be something like, I don't know, 14 to, uh, I don't know, 48 or something, something really crazy. Wow. With the chief, with the chiefs winning. I uh, know with the Eagles. Oh, winning. with the Eagles I winning. Don't pick, I don't pick my mama's second team, man. I don't pick anybody that we actually want to win. Okay. All right. Uh, 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 one, I am not jinxing this. <laughs> one other thing. Uh, I, Michelle and I, we love the commercials and we try not to watch any of them before they air. I know they're all released on YouTube and everything beforehand, right. but that's my favorite part of the Super Bowl. And I know that's a lot of people's favorites. They often watch for the halftime show or the mm -hmm. commercials. And I don't know if you're a Super Bowl commercial fan, but I am really looking forward to a couple of them. The first one is we've already, and what they're doing different, guys, if you're not huge sports fans, is they're doing lead-up commercials this year. And I'm sure they've done it in the last few years, but they'll release, it's, it's more of a story. And they'll release a little bit of the story and they'll say, you'll learn the rest of it during Super Bowl. I think it's a marketing uh, a genius idea. And a couple of them that I'm really looking forward to are the Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, Terry Bradshaw, Doritos commercial. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've seen that yeah. one. And Michelle and I are huge Foo Fighter fans. And it looks like Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters is going to have his own Super Bowl commercial as well. I think he's 
promoting Crown Royal Whiskey, if I'm not mistaken. That's another one I'm looking forward to. I'm sure that they will have the Clydesdales. I'm sure they'll have some really off-the-wall goofy ones. But are you looking forward to the commercials as well? You know, I haven't even, I've tried to stay away because I'm one of those grumpy old people who's like, you know, back in the day, we didn't have trailers for these commercials and we didn't get the commercials two weeks ahead of time. So I try to not even know what's going on. I'm looking forward to just being surprised and hopefully not grossed out like a few years ago with that baby monkey dog. I don't even remember what it was, but it was just the most terrifying, grotesque thing I'd ever seen. Um, you know, I, I, I miss the Budweiser commercials that they used to do during the Super Bowl. So that's kind of my jam. So I, I guess if, if there's one that I'm looking forward to, it's anything with Terry Bradshaw, because I just think he's the funniest guy ever. But, um, but yeah, I'm just looking forward to a, a good, a good commercial run. I'm not really looking forward to halftime. I, I'm looking forward to the food, if we're being honest. Yeah, we're, we're going to do up a little spread as well here with some chili and some fried chicken and, and that sort of thing. Uh, it's nice. going to be a, a fun time. And a uh, fun fact, Michelle and I do a, a really cool side project podcast called the Rock and Roller Podcast. And each week mm-hmm. we're doing um, uh, profiles of rock music albums way back from... 1971 till present. So every week we're doing one and we also do pop culture tidbits on there. And every week for the last few weeks, we've been talking about how expensive Super Bowl commercials were back in the early seventies. And there were only like a hundred thousand dollars or something, which was a lot of money back then, considering now mm-hmm. they are, I think a couple of million dollars for a Super Bowl commercial. But what I find so interesting, and I'm going to leave the show on this note, and it's it's really <laughs> how sports marketing comes full circle, is you'll see these big-time touted commercials, whether it be Budweiser or Doritos or Crown Royal or Crypto or whatever the big commercial is. And then on Monday afternoon, if you're just sitting around the house at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, watching Judge Judy, you will see one of these big time commercials right smack dab in the middle of Judge Judy less than 12 hours after all that hoopla. <laughs> that, that's sports in a nutshell, isn't it? it? It, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah. I, I, you, you've hit it. <laughs> All right, guys. So that is our show tonight. It is the Yukon Quest uh, Canada uh, race preview. Please stay with us for the rest of the mushing season because I guess what about two weeks from now is when our Iditarod coverage kicks off and we have a bunch of exciting things planned for you during that time. So that is it for tonight. We will talk to you guys next time. Goodbye. From DogWorks Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. 
If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.